for almost two months, maybe right at two months, we have been talking about what? What is it? Commitment. Commitment. All right. I told you guys last week I was going to ask. Y'all got it right. Thank you, Lord. That's what we've been talking about. And we're going to kind of continue on with that today. But before we do, let me just ask the Lord to uh, bless this, this time of study. Thank you, Lord, that you demonstrated the ultimate commitment. You committed your life. You laid it down. You gave everything for us so that we would have life, have it abundantly and have it eternally. Thank you that we love you because you first loved us. You initiated love. We are recipients of your saving grace. It's all to the praise of your glorious grace, Lord Jesus. That's why we're here. We gather together on this day to celebrate the resurrection, to worship you, to express our gratitude, to bless the body of Christ, to receive encouragement and strength so that we can continue on in this world, Lord, serving and honoring you, worshiping and obeying you. So praise you, Lord God. We bless your holy name. And I ask as we get into Second uh, Corinthians today that you would please open our eyes and our hearts that your living word would change us, wash us, teach us, build us up, and that we would learn more of you today as we look into your word. Be exalted here today, Father. Be exalted, Lord Jesus. And Holy Spirit, please move in our minds and our hearts as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we've been talking about commitment. You have to commit. Anything worth having requires commitment. We understand this. Two weeks ago, I began talking about the church's commitment to giving, to tithing. Now, at that time, I decided I was going to do a three-week series because I had so much to say on the matter. I told you I had like 18 points, you know, so I thought I'd better break this one up. And that worked out well because... Uh, as I've said before, nobody is, never is there a Sunday where everybody is here at the same time, right? So I figure doing it over the course of three weeks, everybody's going to get something, right? But for those of you who have been here for all three weeks, you must have really needed to hear this. <laughs> so uh, it works out, right? Um, so today is our third and final week uh, considering giving in the church and I, uh, frankly, it's been a blessing, and I'm glad that we've had this time to talk about these things, and I'm, uh, I'm ready to move on. I'm excited about next week. We're going to talk about the church's commitment to sound doctrine, that's what the Bible calls it, to, to the truth. And so, uh, man, I'm already fired up about that, and so looking forward to that. But this is good. This is necessary. And, you know, um, as Dan has said earlier, when visitors come, you know, it's, it's Typically, when people talk about things like this, they'll, they'll be like, great, you know, like someone, this is their first time coming after 15 years, and they hate the church, and by some miracle they came in, and now we're talking about giving or something, you know. There's always like that kind of thing, you know, you bring a friend, and the pastor's talking about the most like crazy antichrist, into the world stuff. Y'all know this. It's like a phenomenon in the church. I don't know what's up with that, but uh, nonetheless... 
you know, this is important. Even if you're visiting, you should know what the Word of God has to say about this matter. It's important. It's an it's a important biblical matter. And the fact that it has been so twisted and abused and distorted, we need to get back to what the Word of God says about it. Amen? And so even if you're visiting here today, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're hearing this. But, you know, as I'm encouraging all of us to be worshiping the Lord through giving, uh, I'm especially talking to our members, you know, people who consider this their church, people who, who would say, Calvary Napa is my church and I belong here. And this is all part of commitment to the body of Christ, commitment to the local church. And so thus far, just a quick recap, we have considered the fact that God himself gave so very generously, that God loves generosity, Right? That we reflect God's image when we give generously. God is generous. We are created in His image. When we give generously, it reflects something of His nature. Giving generously communicates our love and devotion and worship and gratitude. That's why we've started making it a part of our worship service. When we give to the Lord, that is worship. So it belongs in the worship service. And we want to acknowledge that, right? God blesses giving. The Bible is uh, just so full of scriptures that tell us that. We looked at that last week. God blesses us so that we can give. That, I would say that's the, the big reason why God does bless our giving, so that as we step out in faith, God gives us the means to be able to give even more and to become a culture of givers. It's just, you know, we're hardwired that way. It's baked into who we are, right? A culture of givers. God responds to our giving in kind, the Word of God says. If we give generously, God blesses generously. If we don't give generously, God does not bless generously. We looked at all of that in detail last week. And we must consider giving as ownership. We have a part to play. We have a part to play. This, this, what's going on here, all the things that flow out of this, we are one body. It's not just me. I'm not saying, hey, as the pastor, thank you for giving to me or thank you for giving to the church. It's no, we collectively, the pastors, the congregants, the volunteers, the servants, we all give and worship to the Lord. Amen? And so we all have a part to play here. We all have a little bit of ownership in this thing called the church. Amen? And so this week... Uh, our last week, we're going to look at one text, so it's not going to be uh, topical so much as we work verse by verse through a text in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You can flip there if you haven't already. And uh, what I'm going to, the way I want to frame this is what I would call convictional giving. Now, conviction, what is that? It's, uh, well, a lot of us in here know what conviction is. We've been convicted a time or two, and uh, we don't like conviction, right, scares us a little bit, PTSD, don't, don't use that word, but uh, no, Christian conviction, it's, it's when you are gripped to the core by something, um, you know, we often use it in the sense of, man, like, oh, gosh, I wish I wouldn't have said that, I wish I wouldn't have done that, that wasn't right, that didn't honor the Lord, and you, you have that, you're, you're, uh, you feel that in your inmost being. Like we didn't experience that outside of Christ. We were in our sin. We loved our sin. We had no, no issues with our sin. The only thing that grieved us is that we couldn't sin more. You know, we try to get creative. 
improve upon our ways and, and our abilities and, and become special force elite in our sin, right? But as a Christian, no, something changes, and you're like, wow, you know, Lord, that, why did I do that? That doesn't honor you. That doesn't please you. I don't want to do that anymore. That's conviction. You got convicted. But it's also this idea that it's something that we hold deeply within ourselves that is important, and we just feel like we must do it, and if we don't do it, it assaults our conscience, right? It, it bothers us. Something that just isn't right. So I saw this really funny uh, picture. I think this helps. This is kind of what conviction is like, right? Can we put that up there? So there it is. There's the Holy Spirit, there's me, and there's the conviction. It's coming. I love that she doesn't even know what's getting ready to just bam. So anyways, yeah. So that's, you know, that's what it feels like sometimes. I've had that happen up here in the pulpit. I'm just preaching, man, just leaning into it, you know, just, and then all of a sudden it was like throat punch, volleyball to the head. The Holy Spirit's like, you're the one. And it's like, oh man. So anyways, I think we all know what that is like. And so giving as a conviction, convictional giving, that is, uh, I would submit to you what is necessary if, if giving is not a conviction, if you're not convinced that it is something that you're supposed to do biblically that the Holy Spirit would have you do, we probably wouldn't do it. We probably just won't do it. It's not that important to us, right? And if, uh, if we aren't convicted about it, if we aren't convinced that it's necessary and we do it anyways, we might see it more as a burden. Don't really want to do it. Don't really think it's necessary to do. And... Uh, and so then it turns into a burdensome thing, not a blessing. And that's all bad. So here's the thing. If it's a clear mandate from the Word of God, then it ought to be a conviction. Right? If it's a clear mandate from the Word of God, the Holy Spirit-inspired Scriptures, and we've got the Holy Spirit living in us, then it ought to mean something to us. And so that's how I want to frame this thing. And I think as we look at this text today... That's really kind of what we see. There's certainly some practical stuff in here, but I think there's also a lot that has to do with the attitude behind giving. And so that's what I, uh, I hope will come out through this. And as this is like kind of our final message as we talk about these things, I did want to get just a bit more practical today on how we can go about giving, practical tips and ways in which we can approach it. So you guys ready? We good to go? Okay, I'm going to have to move fast. All right, point number one. Giving, okay, we're looking at verses 1 through 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, let me just say this right here I've said before, and I've already hit on a couple of these verses and other sermons, so I'll move quickly through some of those if they sound familiar to us. But uh, what's happening here is that uh, the church in Jerusalem has fallen on very hard times, and the other churches, the sister churches in other regions and cities, are stepping up to support the churches in Jerusalem financially. And so Paul is taking up a collection from the Christians in Corinth. They had already received word like a year earlier that people were going to be coming through to receive this offering from them. And so Paul is stirring them up. He's reminding them of the need, and he is uh, trying to instill within them the kind of attitude that they should have regarding giving. And so this is important for us. This is how we should see and approach giving. So, 
Point number one, giving is a mark of God's grace. I, I believe a church where giving is a big part of the culture of the church, it's a church that really understands and has been struck by, deeply formed by the grace of God. So, verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. That's a mouthful. But Paul said, look, you can see how gracious God has been to the Macedonians. Look at those guys. They have been deeply struck by persecution, poverty, and yet... In the midst of all of that, they gave so very generously, and that is nothing short of the grace of God. That is the grace of God working in the Macedonian churches. You can see that the Macedonians have been so very gracious. When we have received grace, we what? We give grace. Freely we have received, freely we shall give. We are to be givers. And so, you know, grace is an amazing thing. There's a reason why we call it amazing grace. Sometimes I think we think too simplistically about grace. Saved by grace, right? You know, we were dead in sin and trespass. We were enemies of God. We were blind. We were wretched. Yet, amazing grace. We were saved. God showed grace. God showed mercy and favor to an undeserving people. And that is amazing. And that is grace. That was the last thing that we deserved. We deserved no kindness from this holy God. But because He's loving and kind and compassionate, He gave us what we did not deserve, and He gave it to us in abundance, right? He's a gracious, giving God. But not only does God save us by grace, He keeps us by grace. He equips us by grace. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly uh, lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So what does the grace of God do in addition to saving us? It teaches us. I think the ESV renders it, it trains us. We are saved by grace. We are trained by grace, we are equipped to do what? According to these verses right here, deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly, righteously, and godly lives in this present age. That's not easy. This present age is pretty dark, isn't it? It's pretty corrupt. It's not easy trying to be a light in this world. But by God's grace, we can do that, right? It equips us. It trains us. It empowers us. Well, such is the case when it comes to giving. And so Paul says the fact that these churches could be so generous in this time and place, that is the grace of God. And so that's my confidence in us that we can be generous, that we can be generous. Even in the midst of difficulty, it's God's grace. And as I said last week, if there's any hope for us to actually begin to start putting into practice new patterns, new disciplines, new habits of giving, it's by God's grace, by God's grace. Well, number two, this kind of overlaps with the ownership aspect. Uh, uh, number two, giving is a mark of partnership. Giving is a mark of partnership. Verse three, 
For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Now, Paul could testify firsthand to the generosity of the Macedonians. They supported him frequently throughout his ministry. At times when Paul even was in Corinth, he would not receive support from the Corinthians because he just knew that there was so much carnality in that church and that there were false teachers that were just looking for an opportunity to try to hem him up and say, this guy just wants your money, right? He's a false teacher, don't listen to him. So he worked to support himself. But you know what? The Macedonian churches still supported him. They loved Paul. They knew Paul was legit. And they were very generous toward his needs. Now, Paul says that they, they gave according to their ability, and they gave beyond their ability. That they did it freely and willingly. They weren't forced to do it, and they didn't do it begrudgingly. Remember we talked about that? Nobody likes it. You ever had someone give you a gift and then give you a hard time about it? Hold it over your head? I'm sure we've probably experienced that. Someone gives you a gift... And then they just always want to remind you about it and hold it over your head about how they did this great thing for you. And it's almost like now you're indebted to them, you know. And so um, it wasn't that way at all. They gave freely, willingly, joyfully. N nothing about it was begrudging. You know, I've been in a, I went to a church one time. It was, uh, I mean, huge, huge church. And they put so much emphasis on giving. I mean, it just that was what they did all the time. So if you were a first-time visitor, which I was, I got this just beautiful first-time visitor pamphlet packet thing. I mean, this, this thing was quite impressive. And right in there, it was all about how my money was under a curse and if I would give, then God would rebuke the, the destroyer. And these are Old Testament verses. And, and uh, you know, uh, I was like, dang, man, they just kind of come right. How you doing? Give me your money. And, and uh, then the, the pastor was like, okay, guys, we're going to take up the offerings now. And uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that envelope, that you, and I want you to write on there a prayer request. That is just so, uh, you know, just really something that's just so deep and important and uh you know uh you know just maybe even like crushing right now we're, we're gonna pray over those and i was just thinking i don't mean to be critical here but maybe i don't know does it sound to me like now if you do that are you gonna give like you're gonna skimp on that offering like you know i'm writing on this envelope something that is so deeply important to me and i'm gonna throw a dollar in there you know, like, I think, is that like a manipulation tactic? I mean, that, that bothers me. And so I don't, I don't want to judge their hearts, but we've got to watch out for that stuff, you know? And so it's just a fine line that we have to always walk. And you have to be so careful. And the last thing I'm trying to do is judge their intentions or their heart. I could be way off, but you understand, like, we have, this is an important thing. We have to be really cautious about how we handle these matters. Well, they... They gave joyfully, freely. They were determined to do so. They were determined to give. That's just it. They pleaded with great urgency that Paul would receive their support. Man, they were begging Paul, we want to partner with you in ministry. They were determined to give. Why? They wanted to part, uh, participate. They wanted to, partic they wanted to partner. You know, that's the same word for fellowship, for koinonia. 
We are all one in here in Christ. We are brothers and sisters. We are a community. We are a family in Christ. Jesus is what bonds us together. I like what Pastor Bill said at the men's retreat. He was like, you know, if it wasn't for Jesus, he's like, I wouldn't be hanging out with any of y'all. <laughs> and he's like, but you know, and some of y'all who go way back here, you probably have heard him say that, right? And so I get what he was saying there. We are so different. We have different things that we love and enjoy and do, but what is it that just right out the gate draws us together as one? It's Jesus. And so that's the idea behind partnership, participating, fellowshipping. We are all collectively giving to the common need, the common cause. This is our church. We are one body. We all have a part to play in participating to the needs. Feeling a sense of partnership and ownership is vital. If you don't have buy-in here, if this stuff is not important to you, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. And, you know, I know some churches, they are really good at constantly putting in front of the people all the good things that are happening, celebrating the big things, the victories, the, and, and that motivates and encourages people to want to give more because they see where it's going. That's one area where we don't do a good job. I'm not regularly putting out there where these things are going and the kinds of impacts they're making. And as a result, it's out of sight, out of mind. And I think, we think, maybe even if it's subconsciously, that it really isn't making a difference, that it really doesn't impact. And so perhaps that's a failure on our part, and I have to buy that, eat that, but, um, you know, uh, own that is what I'm trying to say. And so, uh, you know, do you have buy-in here? Do you believe that giving to what God is doing here really makes an impact? I promise you it does. And I want to talk more about the kinds of things that it does go into. And I talked about that last week a little bit. And so you need to believe in what is going on here. And that when you support, when we support, that we're supporting something worthwhile. You know, the work of the Lord. Gospel ministry. All right, number three. The kind of giving that pleases God. Giving that pleases God. Verse 5, and not only as we hoped, so Paul said, look, they gave. And then he says, verse 5, they gave not only as we hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So Paul had hoped that the Macedonians would give. See, he's still kind of talking about the example of the Macedonians here. He's talking to the Corinthians about the example that the Macedonians have set, the standard that they have set in their generosity. And so he says, look, we had hoped that they would give, and they did, but they went beyond. They went even further beyond what we had hoped because they first sought the Lord in this matter. Look at that. They gave themselves to the Lord first and then to us by the will of God. See, that's the key. That's New Testament giving. How would the Lord have you give? That's what you have to determine. You have to determine, Lord, what would you have me give? And it looks different from person to person. And since they went to the Lord, the Lord actually led them to give more than Paul even thought or had hoped for. And that's pretty amazing. That's the implication here. They didn't just give as we had hoped. They first sought the Lord, and as a result, they gave even, even beyond that, beyond what Paul anticipated. 
So what does that tell us about the kind of giving that is pleasing to God? God called them beyond. God called them to give beyond. And we already know that they were a struggling church, that they were suffering, that they probably didn't have a lot to give. And so there's a principle here, and I think the principle is God doesn't look so much at the value of what we give as much as He looks at the cost. What did it cost us to give that? Does that make sense? Is that clear? I, let me unpack that a little bit. Uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, it's really fascinating. David was going to purchase some property and he was going to sacrifice to God on that, on that land. And he finds the guy who has the property and says, look, sell me the property. And the guy says, let me just give it to you. You can have it. It's yours, free and clear. You can sacrifice to the Lord on this land. And so in chapter 24, verse 24 of 2 Samuel, the king, David, says, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. That's powerful. He said, I'm not going to offer to the Lord something that didn't cost me anything. I'm not just going to give God the leftovers. Remember that, that video we looked at a couple weeks back? Not just going to give God the leftovers, give Him the best, the, the first, the best, that which cost me something, that which came at a personal expense to me. You know, this is a principle that I think really transcends into other areas throughout the New Testament. This struck me years ago. This idea of costly giving, it comes at, at an expense to you personally, to me personally. We see things like that in other verses. For instance, we're called to love the unlovable, right? Doesn't it say, you know, what, you know, it's not that impressive if we just love the people that are so very lovely, right? That's easy. The, the unbelievers can do that. What really impresses God is when we love people that don't love us back, that are not the most lovable of people, difficult people. That's, that's real sacrificial love. That is love that costs us something. You following me? Well, not only that, when we talk about like submission, biblical submission, and I'm not just talking about you know, wives to husbands, we're all called to submit on some level whether it's submitting in the military or submitting to coaches or submitting to teachers or submitting to employers or submitting to spiritual leadership or wives to husbands or children to parents. You understand that is life. And we are all called to be submissive. But you know what? Submission isn't really submission if you just agree with it all the time. Right? That's just agreeing with it. Submission is submission when you don't like it, when you don't think it's the, the wisest way. You would do it different, you would do it better, right? But you're going to submit to the person that God has called to lead or who is in a place of leadership. That's submitting when it costs, when it kind of hurts, when you don't like it. How about forgiveness, right? I'm sure there are plenty of times where people come to us and say, hey, would you forgive me about something? And you're like, oh, psh, I didn't even... I didn't even think about that. It didn't even cross my mind, right? Well, the, the, it wasn't even necessary. What about when you get just, I mean, transgressed against to the core and you are furious? You are betrayed. 
and the person comes to you genuinely and humbly says, will you forgive me? You don't want to. You're seething with anger and resentment. That's when forgiveness really counts. That's when it matters. And that's the forgiveness that costs. Peter talks about being mistreated for righteousness. He says, what is it, you know, what good is it if you do something bad and then you're punished for it? You just really got what was coming to you and you do it patiently, right? But when you get mistreated for righteousness sake and you don't revile back, just as our Lord and Savior did not revile back, that's impressive to God. See, all of these are the kinds of things, this goes deeper. This is deeper than surface level obedience, this is the level of obedience and sacrifice that Jesus demonstrated and calls us to. And it's very true of giving. And so I believe that, that is the kind of giving that pleases God. And so Mark chapter 12 this is another great verse that I think highlights this a little bit. It says in chapter 12, verse 41, Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury, and that's where people were giving to the, to the temple and temple worship, and many who were rich, man, they, were, they put in much. They were, they were putting a lot of money in there. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood." Now, I'll just say some people don't see this text as a text that really highlights um, giving as much as the corrupt worship of the, uh, the priests and the scribes and the Sadducees and how they, uh, you know, poor widows were coming in and, and giving like that because of the greed of the religious elite of that day. And I think... That's certainly probably very true given the context of that chapter. But, hands down, as I look through so many different commentaries years ago looking into this, they all make the application. The application is just screams at you off the page. This lady gave more than everybody else because she gave at her own personal expense. You know, Jesus was sitting there in the temple and he's watching as people gave. That's so fascinating to me. And we're told people were coming and putting money in the treasury. Now, uh, one commentator says that this refers to 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles on the walls in the court of the women where offerings and donations to the temple were placed. Fascinating that they were shaped like trumpets, right? Didn't Jesus say something about when you give, don't go blowing a trumpet? Something like that. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't do it so that everybody can see and hear and think, oh, wow. Well, I have heard, and I don't know how true this is, that people really were going out of their way to make a show of their giving. So they would use coinage, and they would cash the coinage out so that they could take X amount of money. It would be like turning quarters into pennies. So that you got a whole sack of pennies and you can just dump it in that trumpet and people are like, whoa, man, that guy, that's a holy guy right there. Ooh, he's a big giver, right? God must be so pleased with him. And so uh, we've been trying to look for different offering boxes. We've got that one in the back there. I'm sorry, that thing just looks janky, I know. 
It's literally got a, like a metal plate under it with like ribbons and bolts and stuff because we've had people try to fish money out of there uh, over the years. And uh, so it looks like some kind of weird redneck ingenuity Fort Knox box. But uh, nonetheless, as we uh, were looking at it's hard to find a tithe box. It's weird. And uh, I saw one that was clear. It was just clear plastic. And I was like, oh, boy, I bet you people get big when you have one of those in there, you know, and everybody's writing checks. Know that. And so, anyways, uh, it's just, it's funny. But Jesus said this lady gave more than everybody. I mean, she gave more than everybody because she gave out of her poverty. You know, this the principle of the widow's might. That, so, yeah, the, um, that, that, a might, that is an eighth of a penny. It's an eighth of a penny. And she gave two mites. And so that's, uh, you know, and Jesus, man, that just blew him away. Uh, think about that. Think about that. That was what impressed Jesus. Isn't that just so counter, like, intuitive how we think, how the culture thinks? And so uh, I do want to say with this, we may not know this, but so many ministries and churches, they thrive on what we call the principle of the widow's might. It's the small gifts, consistent gifts of the people. It's not the big-time gifts that people may give here and there. It's just the faithful, sacrificial giving of the people consistently. That really is what does it. I saw something fascinating a couple months ago, and I was, uh, you know, I'm scrolling through news and looking at different things, and I, I saw a quick little clip and they were talking about Donald Trump's war chest. You know what a war chest is? It's, uh, it's basically like the, the financial contributions that pile up for, for uh, political type uh, stuff if they want to, um, they're trying to, uh, you know, run and, and do, do different things. Uh, what's the word I'm having? I'm campaigning, yeah. And so politicking. If they're trying to do some politicking and campaigning, uh, that is what that money is for. And that's some astronomical number. I mean, it's usually pretty big, but nothing like that. That's on some whole other level. And they were just talking about how, how amazing that is. But what was really amazing to me, and I went back and tried to find this because it shocked me, and I wanted to try to verify, make sure I heard that correctly, but they said some like massive portion of that $120 million came in gifts of under $20. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty dollars made up a gigantic portion of that 120 million. That's kind of how it is most often. Those are the kinds of things that really make the impact. It is predominantly the small gifts of the people who give sacrificially and consistently. And so um, I just want to at this point say that's really kind of how we want to move forward with the bridge ministry talked a lot about the bridge and what God has been doing in the bridge, and it's a miracle that, I mean, we've been going. We don't charge the guys to, to come in. Uh, it's all donor. It's all donation-based, uh, private funders and stuff like that, and we've been trying to build that up, and God's been kind of keeping us afloat for over a couple of years now, but there's just been so much sacrificial service that has gone into that, people just can't even begin to know. But honestly, at this point, to really start you know, getting over ourselves and, and, and speaking more directly about the needs, the needs to, to be able to support 
a ministry that costs like this ministry does, because we've seen lives saved and transformed. I mean, I would say in a lot of ways, the bridge ministry has, has fundamentally even changed the culture of this church for the better. I just think there's been a radical excitement and uh, what God has been doing through Regeneration, our Thursday night group, and, and I just think it has brought like a fresh, uh, fresh air into the church. And it's just been so uh, such a blessing, but we have to all step up and chip in to support this ministry. We just, we do. And so we kind of figured out one of the things that we were looking to do, just one particular goal, was to try to raise $6,500 a month. Now, $3,500 is just the, the rent for the bridge house alone. And they're wanting us to buy the bridge house. They're going to sell it. And so this has been an on and off thing for a couple of years, but that's a whole other issue. But uh, that's, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. As, and so we were, we were thinking you can break that up roughly into uh, 100, 200 units, if you will, of $35, something like that. And so asking people to, like, you know, pledge or, you know, sponsor X amount of units for a year, right? $35. Some people may want to do more. For some people, 35 might be a total stretch, right? But doing that and doing it consistently, um, that's something I want to put before our people. That's something that Jess and I have prayed about, and we're going to do so many of those units. And we've already had some people come forward and say that they would do, I mean, quite a bit, quite a bit. I think, honestly, we might have something like 78 out of the 200 right now. And so I, I want to I see us really meeting that goal. Never in my life have I stood up in the pulpit and, and done some kind of thermometer fundraising units type thing. And I wouldn't do that for the church, but this is something that's uh, it's, it's very different. This is just a front lines, crucial, critical ministry. And, uh, and, it, and I'm just trying to help us understand practically how we can, in a very real way, step into it and partner with and take and have ownership with this ministry that I know we all love and want to see make it. Don't y'all want to see it, this ministry make it? I, I know I do. And I believe God's in it. You can't tell me God's not in it. And he's going to work through the generosity of his people in this church and other churches. Grace Church gave $10,000 recently uh, because they, uh, they did a big year-end uh, missionary push they raised something like three hundred and something thousand dollars for missions, and they gave us ten thousand dollars. That's amazing, is it not? And so God is moving through uh, His people, through churches, to support this ministry. And so it takes a lot of money, though. That's just the way the world works, right? It's the way the world runs. And so pray about that, but don't just pray about it. I would encourage you to to act on it. And we have prayer cards around. If you, wanna, if you would like to do that, we would like to kind of keep track of who has committed so that we can kind of, you know, realistically understand how many of these units, if you will, have been adopted. I don't know, whatever. I'm just using whatever I can think of. I'm just pulling stuff out of the air here. Um, and just go on thebridgenapa.org and sign up to be a monthly contributor of $35, $70, however you want to do it. Um, some people may do one, some people may do 20, someone might want to do 30, I don't know, that's between you and the Lord. But as the pastor, I'm encouraging us, let's step into this thing, amen? amen. Let's really participate, let's really uh, support this ministry. It is true, typically, that 
10% of the people do 90% of the work. Some, what, however that works. 10% of the people do 100% of the work. I don't know, whatever. Uh, and that goes with serving in a church. That goes with just about anything. And it goes that way with giving. Could you imagine if 100% of the people actually stepped into the work? What that would do? We've never seen anything like that before. I promise you no church has ever seen anything like that before. That would be incredible. And so imagine if every part did its part. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? If every part did its part. Uh, no, that's what the bridge does as far as the work program goes and stuff that they offer. So, yeah. If you want to utilize the guys and support the ministry, have needs, there are cards there also that express what the, what the ministry can do uh, to, to serve and to help out as well through work program and whatnot. Okay, so let's keep moving here. Um, we're running late, but my sermon time still says I have more time to go, so I'm sorry, guys. Um, let me try to move through this. Giving must be prioritized. It has to be a priority. Verse 6, so we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. So Titus was Paul's protege and he was tasked to go to Corinth and to make this collect the offering there. Paul said, look, you guys have proven to be excellent in all of these areas, faith, speech, knowledge, love. He said, now I want to see you excel in the grace of giving, being generous. You know, we do toil and work tirelessly for many different things, the things that are important to us, right? Can I get an amen? amen. You guys with me? You awake out there? Okay. So we work hard at the things that are important to us. And we don't just leave things up to chance, do we? You know, I set my alarm because I have to get up at a certain time. And I don't just trust that I will wake up at the right time. I'm intentional about that. I'm very deliberate to make sure that there is plenty of coffee and that the coffee will be ready. Right? It's not just going to magically appear in the pot. And so I'm, I'm on top of that. You know, I don't just assume that gas is going to magically appear in the gas tank and then I'm going to end up broke down on the side of the road. Or, you know, we, those kinds of things we recognize maintenance, it, we have to stay on top of it. But that's kind of more trivial. Maybe something more important, well, clearly more important, like marriage, for instance. Some people make the mistake of thinking that a marriage is just going to blossom if we just kind of let it float. You know, it'll all come together. It'll all work itself out. It doesn't work itself out. We have to be intentional and deliberate about making things work better and, and invest in marriage, so on and so forth. And so, um, you know, my sermon, I don't just assume that it's going to fall into place and that I'm going to come in here and just freestyle. I put just hours and hours into studying, and then I preach this thing multiple times. Sometimes Dan and some of the brothers in here have heard this sermon preached multiple times before I even come in here and share it with you guys, right? And so we really put time and effort and investment into things that are important to us. You know, like when it comes to being in shape, for instance, that takes a lot of effort and time. It takes priority, you know? And, and this is interesting, like exercise and giving, consistency is key. 
You can't just hit the gym one, two days and think now you're good for six months or like one or two days a week or three weeks is going to even do anything. Well, same is true with giving. It has to be consistent, ongoing giving. You know, like exercise, it really kind of takes routine, routine. Um, you know, we're very intentional and consistent about the things that are important to us. And we need to be very intentional and consistent about giving to the Lord. We have to have some kind of idea in our minds as to how we want to approach the, the matter. I knew a guy that I used to work with in Tennessee. He was like, you know, people always ask the question, should I tithe off of my gross or the net? Right? That's, that's the, the big question. And he was like, well, I tithe off the gross, but I don't tithe off my tax return for that reason when it comes in. And I thought, see, this guy's got it figured out, man. He's got it mapped out. He knows how he approaches these things, and I appreciate that. I don't necessarily agree with what he just, with, with that, but that's his thing, I'm, you know, to, hit, to each his own. That's how the Lord leads him. For me personally, I wouldn't see it that way. Um, you know, I'm not trying to work it out. God, I'll give you this, but then I'm keeping this because I already gave you that. Like, you know, I, I, you know, whatever. Um, so, um, gosh, guys, I really have to stop now. I've already had, got you. Do y'all want to keep going or should I stop right now? Let's put it to a vote. You need to get out of here? If you need to leave, you can go ahead and get up and go. Seriously, I'm not going to be mad at you. We're, we're running way late. The children's ministry people are going to kill me. Okay, all right, let's keep moving. I've, I've never done this before, but it just is what it is. I'm just, I don't want to turn this into another week. I don't want to do four weeks. I'm ready to be done with this today and move on to other things next week, right? You with me? Okay, let's keep moving. Okay, giving is a mark of sincere love. Verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. Now Paul had been going on about the example of the Macedonians. And he said, look, I'm, I'm essentially testing the sincerity of your love against the example that has been set. You know, this is testing. Testing for authenticity. When God tests us, that's what he's doing. Satan tests us to tempt us and to break us down and make us fall. God tests us to really reveal to us where we're actually at. And Paul said, this is a good test for you. Where are you guys at in this particular area? Do you give sacrificially? Do you give joyfully? Do you give generously? You know, Paul's not trying to force their hand in the matter. He's certainly not trying to manipulate them. Paul consistently tried to encourage people to do the right things for the right reasons. The Macedonians had demonstrated the validity of their love by their actions. So Paul wants to know if the same could be said for the Corinthian churches. Here's the deal. We know what's important to us by how we spend our time, energy, and money. That's how you can tell what's important to you. My pastor in South Carolina used to say, I know what's important to you if you show me your calendar and your checkbook. That's all I need to see. That lets me know. You know, Jesus said it like this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's important to you, your heart is going to be in it. And your resources are going to be in it. You know, now Paul had pointed to the example of the Macedonians, but now he points to the greatest example and act of sincere love. Jesus Christ. The King of glory who became poor and impoverished that we would be lifted out. 
Amazing. And as a result of Jesus Christ and this gift that has been given to us, we have become rich in the most significant way. We were dead. We were slaves to sin. We were blind. We were children of Satan, children of wrath by nature, and Christ died for the ungodly. He took our place on the cross. He took the wrath of God that was justly meant for us upon Himself. He drank the cup of wrath that was meant for the nations so that we could receive the gift of righteousness that was His own. That through His gift, we would now be adopted. We would be recipients of God's love, His unfailing love, that He would no longer be a judge, but He would be a father, and truly He is. And so we were blind and poor and wretched and miserable, and now we are rich. We are alive forevermore. We are dearly and deeply loved, abundantly forever. Amen? And so we have received the ultimate love. And, and you know, all of this generosity that Jesus poured out was motivated by love, sincere love. Why did he do that? Because of love. Amen? That's why he did that. Now, didn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that if we don't do what we do out of love, it means nothing? Love is what compels us to do anything meaningful for God. In fact, Paul said, look, if I give all my goods to the poor and my body to be burned, but don't do it in love, it means nothing. It profits me nothing. And so love is what ultimately causes us to give. That was what caused Jesus to give the, the greatest gift that this world will have ever known. It's what caused the Macedonians to give, and it is ultimately what would cause the Corinthians to give. Next point, number six, giving must have follow-through. Verse 10, and in this I give advice that is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must complete the doing of it as there was a readiness and a desire so there must also be a completion out of what you have. Paul said, look, you guys were fired up to give a year ago. You were all about it. He knew it was in their hearts big time. He said, but now you got to follow through. See, good intentions are a good, a good start, but they're not enough to get the job done, right? You hear me that? You hear me? Good intentions are good, but they're not enough to get the job done. In John 13, 1, it says, Jesus... It's right up to the point of the, of the cross. He's about to be betrayed, taken off. It says that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very what? To the end. All the way up to the end and beyond. Jesus did not stop short. Jesus went to the end. He followed through. And we have to follow through. You know, good intentions are good, but they're not enough. And you know what another dangerous thing is? Is assuming assuming that everybody... Have you all heard me tell that illustration about American Idol? There was a guy years ago. He was like clearly the front runner. Chris Daughtry, you all know that guy? You remember him? He was clearly the front runner. Everybody loved this guy. And he got voted off. And they thought, how could that be? How did that happen? And uh, they said, they think what happened was is everybody assumed that he was clearly going to win the whole show. But there were other people that they weren't ready to see go just yet. So everybody was assuming Chris would win, and they were voting for the other people, and he got voted off. It's fascinating, but I think we do that in the church, too, when it comes to giving. We just, hey, the lights are on. Pastor's still up there. He doesn't have any holes in his shirt. You know? 
the, the sound's still on. Coffee and donuts are back there. Everything must be good, right? We've got to be careful about that. Giving is based on what we have. It's not based on what we don't have. Verse 12. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. Look, if there's a willing mind, if a person has a desire to give, that's, that's a great thing. But it says that God is, is basing your giving off of what you make, not what other people make, not what other people have. You know, sometimes people get discouraged because they think, I can't give like other people give. So what do they do? They just don't give at all. And that's bad. You know, 10 out of 100 for one person is just as acceptable to God as 100 out of 1,000 for another person. It, it, it just, it's about what God has given you, what you are stewarding, and how you are giving on that. And that's why I do believe that the tithing is a good and helpful rubric in the New Testament. Because, you know, 10% for me is going to look different than 10% for you and for you. But God, He judges all of that just the same, you know. Um, and so that's, that's a cool thing there. And so some people think, well, I can't give as much as I would like to give, so I'm just, they don't give at all. They just don't give at all. And that's a dangerous thing. You know, it's a dangerous thing. We don't want to fall into that trap. Like I said, God looks, God looks at the heart. God looks at what it costs you. And it's, as I've said before, my pastor in Tennessee, when he, he told me when he first started tithing, he would tithe 50 cents a week. And that was hard for him to do. But God, I guarantee, honored that, blessed that. And, you know, he just kind of went from there. All right. Giving is a two-way street. Number eight, verse 13. I do not mean that others should be eased and burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. There are seasons of plenty and seasons of lack for all of us. We know how that is. It's how it is in this life. And it's good for us to give when we have it, because, you know, there are times when we have needs. I know, and the church is going to be the first one that's there for you guys. That it was, it's always been that way for me. You know, people want to give to these crazy TV evangelists and stuff like that, but they're not going to have your back when you fall on hard times, the local church is going to be who's there for you. And I just know as a new believer, uh, early on, I was struggling financially. I didn't have any food to eat. And uh, I went to the church, and they got me groceries. And, man, I was just loving that. And they helped me, and I got up on my feet, but the church had my back. And that's, we're able to do that because of people's generosity. We're able to support and serve people who have needs. Lastly, giving is blessed by God. Again, supernaturally blessed by God. Verse 15. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. This is fascinating because Paul is quoting Old Testament Scripture as relevant to New Testament giving. He's quoting Exodus 16 when they were receiving manna in the wilderness, and there were stipulations, there were regulations on how they were to go about gathering the manna. They were not to get too much, and they weren't to hoard it. They were allowed to get enough for the day, their daily bread. Anything beyond that, it would like rot. It would, it would you know, go bad. It would be nasty. And so Paul is making an application here. And he's, he's basically saying, look, the people who gathered too much, they had that hoarder ten tendency. It did not last. It was never enough. But the people who uh, trusted the Lord 
and didn't try to just take excessively, hold on to what they had, never ran out. And so if the Christian does not try to cling to what he or she has, but trusts the Lord and is willing to let go and give to God, they'll never lack. God will bless that. But conversely, the opposite is true. If we're just trying to cling to what we have and hold on to it and stockpile it and keep it, it's never enough. It's never enough. So let's allow ourselves to be conduits through which God's blessings flow. Amen? Let's let God keep us full as we give. It's our business to give. To just, it's God's business to supply. God supplies us as we are conduits of His generosity and His grace. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, we love you, and I'm just grateful for the generosity of your people here. I'm grateful for their eagerness to know what the Word of God says and to do it. I'm grateful that they would uh, allow me to share these things, even though in this culture, in this day and age, these are uh, very touchy and sensitive and downright inflammatory issues. And so um, thank you for the graciousness of our people to receive these things from your word, from the pastor. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would ultimately be the one to move in the hearts of all of us, that we would be, that we would give, that we would give to the, to the local church, to the, your work here, that we would give consistently, that we would give generously, that we would give sacrificially. And, Lord, that you would be pleased and that you would multiply the gifts of your people and that you would receive all of it as worship and that you would use it for your glory and that this year we would see such a, such a radical turnaround and just see the culture of our church become a culture where we really believe that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And, uh, Lord, only you can do that. And so thank you that your grace abounds and that in you, we can, we can do this. And so we trust you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, amen, and God bless. Love you guys. Mean it.